Uh, if you're visiting with us or new and uh, those regular attending, you know that we are uh, in the middle of a Proverbs series, and we won't do this every week, but this morning I wanted to remind you of uh, kind of what some groundwork that we've laid for Proverbs. And Proverbs is a wisdom book of the Bible and can be a little bit unusual uh, how to handle it, how to properly interpret it, and, and use it even and uh, how God intended for it for our lives. So I want to remind you of a couple of things about Proverbs, right? Uh, and, and you will notice all throughout the Proverbs that they are sort of pithy and memorable and hyperbole is uh, used a lot to kind of make it memorable. That's the point. They're short in that way. But remember that the book of Proverbs is dealing with wisdom, and wisdom is a sort of the skill of, of taking God's knowledge, what we know uh, about him and all that he offers us in truth, and making wise decisions and living in this world. That's kind of what wisdom is in a summary, what we've established. Also, that Proverbs is trying to kind of give you a pathway, not specific steps of how to go. It's just a general path of this is how God's world works, and this would be the way to go. As you remember last week, we looked at uh, the proverb about that, to, uh, that when many words words are present, uh, that sin is not absent. Well, the proverb doesn't tell you how many words, when does it kick in that you're in sin. It's just a general path saying to us that um, there's, when you have, do have many words, then there's probably sin, sin will be present. Look for that. There's a pathway to walk, and that'd be thinking about how many words you lose, use, uh, not lose. Uh, then just to flourish, the idea that the proverbs is God's pe- God trying to help his people in redemptive history and us today to teach them, to give them wisdom and understanding how to flourish in, our, in his world. They're very convicting, and there's some words of them that, uh, that, that what they describe will even be convicting this morning, the, the proverb we're looking at, but he wants us to flourish. The other thing, uh, a couple other thoughts to establish, is um, the fear of the Lord. And we learned the theme verse of the whole book is in Proverbs 1-7, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And... You know, I must confess, if I've thought about the wisdom uh, book of the Bible, this book, I have thought, uh, God wants me to learn as much wisdom that I can and then leave him and go to try to execute it in the world. But what we learn and we've established is that wisdom is actually flows from a deep connection to God in awe and mercy, that we never leave that. If you want to be wise, then you will walk closely in awe and beauty of who God is. And then lastly, one of the things also that Kevin established for us in the series was just to, that the Proverbs are calling us to trust him in the way we live and function and to be skeptical of our own hearts and our own decisions and to look to him as we try to live a pathway and live wisely in his creation. So um, with that being said, um, as we come to Proverbs 12, 19, you'll see here the, the passage, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. And um, just to quite frankly say, here's what I think, we, we, we looked at a lot of Proverbs this week in the studies, but I took this one to kind of zoom in on. Here's what I think this proverb, what God is trying to say through us to this, I think this is maybe what he's trying to get, to, get at for us. Uh, I'll say it this way. God and his understanding of this fallen world that we live in, what I think he's trying to offer to us in this proverb is this, is that we long, he knows that we long for and need truth to prevail. And at oftentimes we forget this, or we don't believe it's true. Let me say that again. Let me unpack that. We long for and need truth to prevail. That there's, we, there's part of us that we long for truth to come to bear in lots of circumstances in our life. That's what we, we long for it to happen, even in places we live and the spaces we live and breathe. We also need it more than we know. 
We need truth. And Jesus even said that, that truth will set us free. There's something about what truth is, and we need it, because that's what we were made for. The garden was a place of truth and reality before sin. So we were made to live in this truth. And yet oftentimes we forget this, we forget that we need it, or that we long, that we long for it, and, uh, and we don't uh, believe um, that truth is uh, really there. We don't believe uh, that we need it as much as we do. So let me pray. Uh, well, let me, oh, forgot. So I think this passage is trying to have a twofold approach to help us with that. There's a warning in this verse, and there's hope, and there's hope in this verse. I think he tries to answer it, help us with this, to give us a warning from this verse and hope. All right? Let's pray. Father, would you, um, uh, would you this morning grant us, um, grant me for this moment, um, to be your mouthpiece to your people. And it is crazy to think that you would speak through someone like me. But would you um, help us, Lord, may your, may your word go to our minds and to our hearts and to our hands and, and whatever needs to be corrected, whatever needs to be lifted up, whatever needs to be restored, whatever needs to be reminded here today. Holy Spirit, would you do that? Would you illuminate your word to us, your people? In this, this place, in this time in history, in this state, on this, in this country, in this globe, we, we believe that you care about this church just as much as you care about the whole church and that you dwell with us when we gather. And so would you be with us in these next few minutes together and would you remind us of, of um, ultimately of Christ and lift him up to us again. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, well, the warning. We'll look at the warning. That's kind of in the second half of the verse there. You'll see, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. And I want to share with you my first warning about lying, okay? One of the first warnings, I believe, it came from my parents about lying. Uh, I was in the second grade. Uh, many of you may have a story like this. Uh, I was in the second grade, and uh, I, remembered, I can remember this whole day distinctly, by the way. So seven-ish years old, all right, probably seven or eight years old. And um, my mother's fixing breakfast. I've come into the kitchen. I've sat down. Her first question to me is, you, have you brushed your teeth? Guess what I said? Yes. Guess, had I brushed my teeth? No. <laughs> all right. So we eat, and we keep going. And uh, she's like, you sure you brushed your teeth? Yeah, I brushed my teeth. All right. Uh, we stay the course. Well, she takes me to school. She drops me off right before I'm about to get out. She says, Shane, did you brush your teeth this morning? Now, I, I, don't, I don't remember how she told me she knew. Obviously, mom knows, right? I'm like, mom, yes, I brushed my teeth. Okay, great. She gives me a kiss. I got out. I do remember thinking, made it through that one. I hung in there long enough. No way uh, she'll ever remember, right? Well, guess what? I get picked up that afternoon from school and... Um, we're riding home, and I'll remember, and my mom said, hey, Shane, I'm going to give you one more chance, buddy. Um, and there won't be any consequences, but did you, uh, I just want to ask you, did you brush your teeth this morning? And you know what I did? I doubled down. And I said, well, yes, Mom, I brushed my teeth. Why? And she said, well, you know, I noticed that your toothbrush wasn't out, and you leave it out every morning. You uh, <laughs> make a mess, which was true of me. And she said, so what do you say to that? And I said, well, oh, yeah. When I brushed my teeth, when I got finished, I noticed it was an old toothbrush, and I just threw it out the window. 
And so, <laughs> I literally, there was a bathroom at the front of our house, it was, uh, and there was a window, and I, when I was done, I told her that. She said, okay. So we get home, and she's like, well, great. And we pull up the driveway, hey, would you mind taking me to show me where that, where that uh, toothbrush is that you threw out? I think we can clean it, and I don't have, you know, whatever. I don't remember what she said, but I, I do remember the walk from the front, from the driveway, all the way around to the bathroom window in the front of their house, and I am praying, oh, God, please let their, you part of the Red Sea, right? Surely a, a toothbrush uh, will show up there. And um, there wasn't a toothbrush. And so... Um, and you know what? It was a rough story. I was spanked. I was whipped by my mother. And then, you know, usually that means that's a bad deal if you get a spanking growing up. Uh, but then, uh, but I, it wasn't just that. It's like, your dad will whip you again when he gets home. And so I was like, so uh, I can remember my mother crying over that instance and, uh, and that day. And so you may have a similar story. But when you notice there in the passage in Proverbs, in verse 19, it says, a lying tongue is but for a moment. So what, what is a lying tongue? Let's make sure we don't uh, overlook that and assume that. So you see the passage, is, is, it uses um, uh, lips, truthful lips, and then tongue. That's just more of a, a writing kind of eloquence, just to use two different words for the same thing. So it's actually speaking to our mouths and what we teach, but, or what we speak. But what is a lying tongue? And that particular uh, this particular proverb is really directly linked uh, to, the, to the moral code of the Ten Commandments in the Ninth Commandment. What we learn what a lying tongue is, uh, Moses tells us in Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy 5 uh, in the Ninth Commandment. And um, that therefore you shall bear no false witness, or thou shalt not lie, the Ninth Commandment. Now, um, interesting enough, uh, the Ninth Commandment... Um, there's a word there in the Hebrew. Uh, this isn't oftentimes translated, I learned this week, and it's the word answer. That those, uh, the idea of answering to, as a false witness. And um, not oftentimes makes the, makes the translation. But, but nevertheless, what it begins to tell us is that, and oftentimes in history, and even God's people, concluded that the ninth commandment was primarily thinking about a courtroom. Right? And so that the idea was it's a courtroom setting. And some of that was true because there were courts that they would go to. But, um, but also the word false is important there as well. So let me come back to the courtroom thing and let me first say something about false. The word for false, some things would be better translated, uh, could have been better translated or more fully explained if we use the word vain or worthless testimony. But we use the word fault. And, um, and the definition um, includes all kinds of fault speech. And so it's really trying to reach farther beyond just the idea of just telling a lie, if I will. That's what we think the word is actually meaning. It's a, it's a testimony to a courtroom kind of language. And so um, let me give you an example. So let's say... Um, Let's say uh, Baxter, my dog, who was given to us by the Andersons, he dies in our home, all right? And um, let's say that Macy Grace and Hadley, who are the older sisters of Hudson and Xander, my two that are at home, let's say that Macy Grace and Hadley, um, they know for sure that Hudson didn't kill Baxter, that he didn't kill him, all right? They, they know that for sure. But... 
Macy Grace says to me, I was like, what happened to Baxter? And she says, Hudson killed him. All right, that's a lie. But then I asked Hadley, what happened to Baxter? And she said, well, I don't know what happened. She says, no, this is what she would say. All I know is that after Baxter died, Hudson came walking out of his, out of his room where, where we found him. So both of them now know that he didn't do it. Macy tells a lie. That's bold-faced lie. We get that the, that the, ten, the commandment is speaking that. But Hadley told the truth that Hudson did find him and saw him. And the last time, she, all I know is I saw him walk out of, the, out of his room. She told a fact that was true, but it was misleading. And what, we, what the scriptures are teaching is, of course, a lie, but it is to bring false testimony. To use facts and truth, it's not only to lie, but also to use facts and truth in a worthless, vain way. To use truth um, to bring and mislead uh, and, and to hurt others. Um, and what we can conclude from that is that, wow, I mean, the, the commandment is very, very nuanced, right? It's not just to, to tell the truth, but is it is to, uh, as well, think about the idea of misleading or misrepresenting the truth. And this has huge implications for our life. Uh, think about in the job, what this says, you know, when you, do you lie about your profits to your investors, or do you misrepresent just parts of the truth and make true statements, but it's misleading that maybe the company's doing well? Do you push for a product that some people may not need, meaning this is a good product, but you know that they don't need it, and you push in a misleading way to say that this is something that you might need. Maybe you sell something or conceal something that's, or don't fully disclose all that's wrong with it, right? It is speaking truth in a way that's misleading to others, right? Even the Proverbs 21, 6 that we looked at in our studies this week says, making a fortune through a lying tongue is a vanishing myth. It's a pursuit of death. In any part of your life, do you mislead or use truth to damage others? Listen, here's another way we do it. Uh, let's say that people do have real fault flaws in their life. Let's say that there's some things that needs to be spoken about. But do you come to them about their flaws and the way that you tell them about their flaws in their life actually make it almost no way possible for them to receive it? You are a worthless and law and vain witness to them when you bring it in that way. Because the, t- the ninth commandment has its roots in, in, in a community. What is it, how, does it, how does it affect a community of people? We shall bear fault, uh, you shall not bear false witness to one another. Um, and so it has a community feel to it that's really, really um, important. And at the core of it, what I believe maybe is some of the core, the core of, the, of the lying or the misleading is fear. We have a fear of missing out on something. Maybe I fear what you'll think of me, so therefore I will misrepresent truth. Therefore, what if I, I'm fear of losing power? And maybe I might lose my job. Therefore, I will misrepresent or lie in order to keep it. Maybe, I, and maybe it was like me. I, uh, I didn't want to have to go back there. I didn't want the discomfort of having to go back and brush my teeth. And so it led me to do. Then my lie became that I didn't want the consequences of the lying. And so I stayed in that because I was fearful of something that was uh, at the core of what I was doing. Now, the warning 
Um, remember I said that it's, a, it's sort of a, a courtroom idea, and in history, most people, not in history, but oftentimes it was misrepresented or thought of to be a commandment only for the courtroom. And so it's interesting uh, that that's the case, because um, that would have been a right place to address it. But when Jesus comes on the scene, if you'll remember, in the, in the, um, in the Beatitudes, on the Sermon on the Mount, you remember he teaches on oaths? And he begins to teach about oaths, and, and he finishes, his point is, is that basically, without just summarizing for you, is that you, you think he's talking in a context of a courtroom that you think is about what you say there. And he says, basically, all of life is a courtroom, and let your yes be a yes, and your no be a no. He later will say, and you, by the way, will give an account for the judge in Matthew 12 of every loose word that you've given. So in a sense, yes, it has courtroom language, but all the time, because you and I live before all the creator, all the time in this world, our yes must be yes. We're always, if you will, in the courtroom. And our words can either bring harm by lying or they can bring, uh, or they can endure uh, forever in a good way. And so Why, why then does it tell us, that's lying lips, and you'll notice that it says this, it says, but warning, uh, the warning is this, but for a moment, that lying lips last for just a moment. Why is that? Why do lying lips only last for a moment? What I, what I think he's trying to say here, and I think we see this in creation, uh, is this, is that when people lie, and I think this was the fear of my parents and what they knew to be true, and if you've ever helped your children, is that they know, in a sense, you will fade away. People will recognize that you're a liar, and they will distance themselves for you. Things in life won't go well for you, whether Christian or non-Christian, if you are a liar. And um, in a sense, among people, we begin. Think about the liars you know. If you know they're a liar, how in your heart do you relate to them? If you know they have the stigma or the pattern of lying, what is it like for you to relate to them? So why is it that they, in a sense, are only for a moment? Why is it that they fade? A couple of reasons. One is this. Uh, we learn in the other Proverbs, some of this work, other ways, is that neighbors are hurt by lying, that it actually crushes people for you and I to lie. Because remember, it's a, it's a communal command to bear witness. Don't tell a false testimony among each other, against each other. Bring truth to bear. And it crushes them. Listen to what 20, uh, Proverbs 25, 18 says. A person giving false testimony against his neighbor is like a club, a sword, or a sharp arrow. So when you and I are bearing false testimony, whether lying or not, or using the truth to our advantage, or to not say the right thing, it's like a club, an arrow, a sword. We're cutting one another. That's why we fade. Then people distance themselves. No one wants to be around those. Proverbs 26, 28 says, A lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering tongue causes ruin. That's what happened. And the Bible begins to reinforce that, right? You can look at the stories of the Bible whenever lying comes. And there's a reason why so many movies, right, tell us the story of a lie and how it crushes people as they go along. And it's crushing the very one who is in it. They last for a moment. It doesn't stay forever. And you remember maybe the famous story of Jacob, who was known a deceiver, right? And he deceived for his own birthright. And look at his story. It, in a sense, from his own family and his brother, he ran far away. He, he lost his relationship. It was but for a moment. And apart from God's mercy, could this liar have ever been restored? The other reason uh, that it's just for a moment 
And is that is this is one is it crushes people, uh, and that's why it lasts for a moment. And um, maybe in essence, people run. But then also that God hates it and will destroy all lies. Let me read to you again from our study this week, Proverbs twelve twenty two. Lying lips are an abomination. Some translations say lying lips are detestable. That's the one we had to God, to the Lord. But those who act faithfully are his delight. Proverbs 19.5 says, A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will not escape. So what God is saying is, part of the reasons that lies fade away is because I punish them. I deal with them. They don't escape. That's why they're just for a moment. What does he establish forever? Which is the other half of the verse, truth. But lies will fade. So in response to just that and thinking about it, um, that it's a warning to us. Um, seems like what God's doing for his people in everyday life is, is saying, I want to warn you that you will last for just a moment. It will not be to your advantage if you have a lying lip, if your lips are lying. And um, here's the sad reality, that we're all liars. You can go study all the statistics, and uh, I think even Bruce in our study, he tried to bring up uh, the percentages of what studies are saying to everybody, uh, how many people, how many lives people stay a day. It's all over the map. <laughs> but here's what we know, that you and I know down deep that we don't always use truth in the right way. Sometimes we don't blatantly lie, but we've done that too. But we're all liars. And why do we know that? Because of our parents, Adam and Eve. It was a lie that sent them spinning. And then in their first word, they begin to lie with God. And someone else made me do it, and Adam and Eve. And so lying is kind of at our heart and our nature and what we and who we are. And the wrong way that we oftentimes try to address this, um, this warning, the wrong way to address it would be to say, stop lying. And proof means prosperity and being liked. And although that's a true, and... Um, and honestly, my parents fell short because that's what they were at that point in my life. And I think they would do it differently now. At that point in my life, they were just saying, you won't be liked and you'll ruin your life and don't lie. That was the only reason. But if that's the only reason we offer to people why to stop lying, it won't work. It won't work long. And it's not the real, real reason. The real reason that we stop lying was the reason I forgot that I should have remembered is parallel to my parents. What I should have remembered was... As I was embarrassed that I hadn't done what I was supposed to do, I don't remember all my motives for lying, but what I lost sight of in that moment was that my mom loved me. And that even if I had messed up in that morning and not done what I was supposed to do, and even in my halfway when I was lying, she was probably okay with me lying too to her, I lost sight of that my parents loved me and accepted me and knew everything about me and knew I was capable and knew I had done other things wrong, capable of lying to them. And I lost sight of the safe place that was my home. Now, not everybody's home is that way, but I was loved. And my mom's love for me was never wavering, had not been wavering that morning. And I could have come on that foundation and in the safety of that love and admitted I was a liar. But I lost sight of it. And I also, I also believed uh, I didn't believe that truth endured forever. In that moment, what I, as a young little boy, I was processing that lying 
uh, I didn't understand that it was momentary. And that it would fade, it would ruin me. And I didn't know any of those things. And so, um, the way that we are truly motivated uh, for the long term is really the love of Christ and the awe, and go back to Proverbs 1-7, the awe and beauty of who Christ is. And think about this. Think about what Christ did when he was in a courtroom. You and I always love, but he was in a courtroom. And he was asked, actually in the Garden of Gethsemane, they were coming to murder someone, they said, he said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth, when he was about to be arrested. And then he said, that's me. He didn't lie. And in the same way, he went to a courtroom and uh, stood there, and, and Pontius Pilate them asked him, uh, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king? Are you the true king? And Jesus said to him, then he said to Pilate in John 18, so Pilate said to him, so are you the king? And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born. For this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. You know what he said? Am I the king? He said, of course I'm a king. And in that moment, he didn't lie to preserve himself. He told the truth. And the truth, what our verse doesn't tell us, but is implied, the truth is painful. It's hard sometimes and scary to tell the truth. But Jesus told the truth about himself in the ultimate courtroom. Why? In order for liars to be forgiven and be brought near to the Father. And so... um, one of the most famous uh, sermons I uh, ever remember. The reality is, you don't remember many. My guess is you can probably remember three sermons you ever heard in your life. That's usually my, when I poll people. That's it. So, um, but there's one sermon, the one of my three that I remember is the most famous sermon I heard. Um, I was in the, it was in the late 90s, and I was uh, in my 20s, late 20s, and um, I heard Tim Keller. Now, I didn't know he was famous, and he wasn't famous since his pre-internet and all that, but he's a famous guy in our denomination. But he was preaching at a conference in Briarwood, uh, where I was in my late 20s. And he wasn't preaching on the def- online like we are this morning, the prospering of that, but what he was preaching on was around the gospel and, um, and what it meant to really, uh, which is the point here, what I'm trying to get to. And um, his wife, Kathy, overheard him on the phone call with... Uh, with one of their elders or one of the people in the church. And he kind of told a white lie and misrepresented, nah, I'm just doing this or whatever. And as soon as he gets off, and it was kind of a half-truth, a false witness in the moment. And as soon as he got off uh, the phone, um, Kathy said, why'd you do that? And he was like, well, no big deal. They just, I didn't want to make him. I was a little nervous about what he would think and what this. And so he, uh, he said, I, I was just kind of helping him or whatever. And she said, no. Tim, you're a liar. And the point of his sermon that day was to say, I'm a liar. And for probably the next 10 years, you would hear me, somebody say, when I had a gospel moment, say, I'm a liar. And his point was this. And this was Kathy's point to him. God loves you so much. And he always has and he always will. And he's completely aware of who you are and what you are. So much so that you don't have to admit that you tell white lies. You can just say, I'm a full-blown liar. Full-blown false witness all the time. It's actually his love gives you the freedom to admit 
you're a liar. You can just call it worse because cheer up, you're a lot worse than even that, than you know. And that is what I believe God is wanting his people to understand and believe. The other thought here from the morning, I remember that was the warning. And the warning, don't hear the warning and not go to Jesus. But the other was the idea of warning, but it's also uh, a verse of hope. And notice that it says that the truthful lips endure. And, um, and so I think there's a blessing here that is trying to remind us that we, when we don't bear false witness, that in a sense, that I don't want to minimize that it does help you when you speak truthfully and don't bear false witness in this world, that it actually does bring blessing to you in some way in God's creation. And that was the point. This wasn't a courtroom. This was everyday life. That's the Proverbs. And so it does help you. He says, truth is established forever. It endures forever. And so one commentator says this, an English commentator says this, that the man that speaks truth is and will be established in his credit and reputation among men. Instead of crushing people, he will build a good reputation. He is uniform in all of his peace, and what he says is believed. Truth, though it may be opposed, will prevail against lies and falsehood. That people who tell truth, in the end, they will endure. The lies will go away. But what I also think is trying to say is that truth is, um, endures. Is that I do think God's people need to hear, and we need to hear, Lord, does truth really endure? It doesn't feel like it. It seems like liars are winning. And it seems like so often that lies are going on everywhere. Do you realize that even, let's just take for me, I thought about this in the political world, that you even know uh, in navigating that, I don't know if it's hard for you, but it is for me. Do you realize that in 1984 they'd established in our political world what they call a spin room? Do you know what that is? So after they debate, it started with Reagan and with uh, Mondale. And so afterwards, when they, when they would give speeches and have debates, they created a spin room. It was actually Reagan's team's idea to create a spin room. What do they do? Journalists and everybody comes in, and they hear the people on each teams, and they spin, if you will, the points that were made in the, in the, uh, in the debates to try to make it sound better for them. It's a spin room. It's a lying room. <laughs> That's what it is. We're going to make this thing sound our did. Actually, in the story, Reagan knew that he lost the debate, but he came out of the winner because his spinners were better against Mondale. And I don't know about you, but even just in that area of life, I look to the world in the political realm, maybe you don't do that. I'm not commenting on the political, the, the political world other than to say there's part of it that makes it feel hopeless to me. Because it feels like there's lies everywhere and misrepresentation of truth. And guess what? There are so many areas of your life and family and in places where you work and where you live, and it seems like that lies prevail. And what God is telling to us is sometimes it's painful, and it kind of looked like Jesus was losing to a lie. And all throughout the Bible's history, sometimes it looked like the liars were winning. But in the end, God is saying, truth will be established forever. And I don't know whatever relationship, but that's the hope of this verse as well. It's a warning to stay away from lying. And, and there's blessing that comes from it. But it's also a hopeful verse that he tells his people, I am establishing I hope that lands on you well. And um, so what does that mean for us this morning? A couple of thoughts to walk away with in application. Feel the warning and turn to Christ and come out. If you, if you find yourself right now in a lie, and it's a perpetuating lie, 
and it's worse or than brushing your teeth. But nevertheless, caught in one, I urge you, I warn you to come out of that and confess. And to believe that there is, there is a Savior who already knows, just like my mom loved me, that you're coming into a place that they love, but confess it. Confess it to someone and come out of that. Come out of that false witness or lie that you're living. The next thing is that I would tell you to fight lying. The application is fight lying by remembering Jesus' words and promises to you. He has established truths for you to cling to that are forever. And and they just let them that have already been established, let them anchor you in your life. Let it anchor you that Zephaniah 3.17 is true, that your Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness, and he will quiet you with his love, and he will exhort over you with loud singing. Hang on to that. Hang on to 1 Timothy 16, 17, what Paul did. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, and only God, be honor and glory. Paul was saying, listen, I even know that my sin he's using to bring people to come. That I, it's not who I am, it's who he is and how he relates to me and he's preserving a sinner. I cling to that. Not that I'm a liar or not. I am a liar. But there's one who is keeping me and loves me. He has cast your sins as far as east is from the west. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Does he not promise and fulfill? Does he not always speak and act? His words have been established forever. May you cling to those, and whatever they may be, find those words that speak to you that God has said that is forever. And may his people Cling to it. And then lastly, speak the truth. It's a, it is, we can establish things of great power for one another. Speak of this truth. And, and don't be silent. And when, and when you're in circumstances that you're being silent, it requires speaking. Speak. But speak truth. Don't crush Let's pray. Lord, as we um, come to sing in response to you, would you help us to believe this reality uh, this morning? And um, I'm thankful that every person in here this morning, we are standing, if, if we have trusted in you for our salvation, and those that haven't, I pray that they would. We stand upon the things that you've declared. And Jesus Christ, you were the ultimate truth that was established for us and came to dwell among us. And would you let us believe that, God? Would you let us believe this sweet proverb that truth endures forever, but the lying lips, truthful lips endure forever, but lying lips, they all but fade. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.